Well, I hope you managed to get a bit of a, a rest over Christmas. Laura and I took a road trip. Uh, we headed up to Big Sur for a couple of days in the rain. Um, and I don't know if you've, you've ever seen a pastor a few days after Christmas or after Easter. Um, my recommendation to you is if you ever bump into one, um, don't talk to them. Um, because if you have any illusion that they're smiley and friendly and energetic and outgoing, then it will ruin, uh, ruin your vision of pastors. Um, we, we tend to be a bit of a tired and grumpy bunch. Um, and sure enough, we, we stayed over for a night in this hotel on the way up to Big Sur. And I woke up early in the morning and everyone else was still in the hotel room asleep. And so I sort of blearily got up and thought, I better go and do something. And I was full of turkey and, you know, that feeling after Christmas. I was like, I better go and find the gym. So I, I put on, my, I put on my, my gym clothes and I put in my contact lenses and I sort of blurrily made my way to where I thought there might be a, a gym in, in the hotel. And, um, I, and it was dark and it was wet outside and there was nobody around in, in the hotel. And I found this room, you know, every hotel's got one, this like small room with some things in it. And I, and I looked around and fortunately there was nobody there, but everything seemed a little bit, a little bit blurry, if I'm honest. Because I, and I thought, something's wrong. Like I'm just, maybe I'm just really tired. And then I looked around and I realized, oh no, I've actually put my contact lenses in the wrong eyes because I'm just so tired. I thought, okay, well, at least I, can, I can't go back to the room. So at least I'll just, I'll keep, I'll keep exercising. So I spotted across the room um, a Peloton bike. Um, anyone into Peloton here? Just a few, okay. So if you don't know what a Peloton bike is, this is what a Peloton bike is. Um, it's basically, it's, it's like all the rage of 2022. It's, it's an exercise bike, like normal, but as you can see, it has the TV from your living room attached to the, the front of it. It's like the sort of Tesla of exercise um, bikes. And, and I've, I've wanted for a long time to have a look at one because all the people seem to say that it changes your life. And I thought, how does this happen? So I, I walked over to it and I couldn't really see it because it was all blurry, but I started sort of tapping away at the screen and, and before I knew it, I was, I was entering all my details in it and it was telling me, you know, put the seat here and sit here and, and, and I'm like, oh, right, I'm, we're in. And so I'm starting to like pedal and as I start to pedal, it says, you know, are you, are you a beginner? Are you intermediate or are you advanced? And I thought, oh, gosh, how I feel this morning, like this should be another, should be a whole other category at the bottom end of this right now, but I'll, beginner, I'll, I'll go beginner. And so I'm, I'm starting to cycle and then this, this super brightly clad and very noisy, because I had my headphones in, woman suddenly like peers on the screen. She's like, good morning, your life is going to change. Uh, and I was like, Whoa. it's a little bit more than I was expecting, but okay, here we go. And so I'm like, I'm pedaling and, and on one side of the screen you have the, the cadence, which is the speed. And on the other side of the screen you have this little thing for the resistance, which is how hard it is. And she's like up and down and she's, she's giving it this whole like, your life is going to be better this year. I used to be like you, but now look at me. And, and I'm like, oh, there's a, there must be a camera or something. She can, she, can, she can see me. And she's like, I am on your team and your life is going to get better. And then it had like some EDM and then it changed to the Backstreet Boys. Show, show me the shape of your heart. I was like, wow. She's like, I am here for you this year. Your life is going to change. And it's not just you. And it's not just me, because we're all in this together. And she said, if you look to the right-hand side of the screen, all these people are on the ride with you now. And I thought, oh, oh, right, okay. And, and sure enough, there's like a list of 400 people all the way down the side. And she says, they are here for you, but they are also here to compete against you. Uh, <laughs> 
And I thought, oh no, <laughs> oh no, I, I thought I'd just come for a few minutes exercise and now I'm in a race, I'm in, I'm in a race. And, and I, saw, I thought, I, well, I, I thought I was doing quite well. Um, so I thought, I wonder where I am in the 400 list. And so I started at the top and then I started looking down <laughs> and I looked down <laughs> and I looked down. 320th I was in the race. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was bad. And so then, because I'm very over-competitive, I got very over-competitive. And I thought I was just going to do a couple of minutes, and I was then, like, with 20 minutes still to go, I was going for it. You know, it's like a puddle of sweat appearing on, under the bike, and I'm giving it everything I've got, and she's telling me my life's going to change, and 2023 is going to be incredible, and she's telling me that I must feel better, and I'm literally dying, and thinking I'm going to pass out at any moment, and then eventually... We get to the 30-minute mark, and it's like, it's all over. And I literally collapse off the side of the bike and make it back to the hotel room. And like everyone's waking up. I'm like, good morning. And they're, what happened to you? I'm like, uh, and then I have this kind of like epiphany moment, this existential moment. And I just thought this, is that what life has been reduced to in 2023? Is this what people live for now? And by the way, please don't sue me if you work for Peloton. I think it's a good way to get fit. But this is why I suddenly thought, like, are we a human race that is about spinning our wheels madly in the dark on our own, trying desperately to keep our bodies or our physiques or our money or our status or everything that we are just going for one more year, for one more year. But actually, in reality, we're on our own with some pseudo sense of community touched by the person that may or may not really know us or care anything for us, surrounded by people who may or may not even be real, but they're on a screen. It's like, is this what life has become? And I was grumpy. <laughs> but it, but it, it just got me thinking, like, is that it? Do we exist for that? To just keep going until eventually we can't keep going anymore and our bodies give up and we die and we're buried and a few years later people forget we existed. Sounds a bit morbid. But how many people, I thought, will wake up at the start of 2023, and whether they verbalize that or they don't, that's what they're living for. How many people, for that, that will be their story of 2023. And then it got me thinking, with huge thankfulness, thank you, God, that that is not our story. <laughs> Thank you, God, that we do not believe that we are just some cosmic fluke or kind of like biological chance or survival of the fittest, that actually we believe that there is more, that there is much, much more, that even though we probably do feel at times physically incapable, that we do feel limited and finite, that we are made by an intelligent, loving good creator who is working out good plans on the earth. Amen? Right? That's who we are, that God loves us and he cares for us and he is writing an eternal story which amazingly we don't just get to watch or get to be, get to be observers of, but amazingly God calls us to participate in.
that we play a role in the story of the eternal story of what God is doing on earth that one day will lead to us being in his presence for eternity. That our story is not bounded by physicality, it's bounded by his love. Right? That's who we are. And that's what we're about. And it's why in that moment I was like, thank you God that I get to do what I do with my life. Thank you, God, that I get to go back to vintage in a few days' time, and we get to restart this whole story of living into that reality. But I think then it kind of raised another question, which is then, well, what is the church for? If, If this is about God's love for individual people, why does church matter? Um, And I think we're in a pivotal moment within the U.S. for church right now. Um, If you look at this little chart, you'll see that um, uh, across the last 50 years, we've seen an amazing decline of uh, church attendance. I don't know if we can get it up on the screen. But uh, around the millennium, um, around 70% of people said that they were part of a church. That's now declined down to, um, in 2020, 47 people just before the, the pandemic hit. And even though in 2022, we actually saw a really big upturn in millennials coming back to church. Incredible. Um, The picture of religion and faith is so different here in the US. There's the the graph, if you can see it, see it there. You know, we now have huge multi-faithism, agnosticism. We have all sorts of plug-and-play spiritualities. And of course, we have a whole online world too have ways to worship and pray and learn, all which are podcasts and Spotify playlists and amazing sermons that you can live um, for. And it does raise the question, do we need church? Do we need church? Or is church and faith somehow something different? I saw this sign at the Rose Parade when I was there a couple of days ago. I don't know if you've seen this picture, Um, this guy. I didn't get a chance to go and ask him what he meant. Seek Jesus, not any church. I would love to know what he meant. Um, But how many people want to live a private spirituality without the place of the church? And so I thought for this spring, starting this morning, and we're going to go up toward Easter, we're going to answer that question. We're going to debate it. We're going to discuss it. We're going to think about all the different facets of what God has in mind for the church. And when I say church, and I'll say this every week, I don't mean big old buildings. I don't mean denominations. I don't mean movements or organizational structures. I mean the ecclesia, the gathered community of people who choose to worship, to pray, to learn, to grow, and serve um, together. What is the church for? And today we're going to start by looking at this particular part of the puzzle, which is that the church exists to bring light into the darkness. Church brings light into the darkness. Um, This is actually um, Epiphany Sunday. I don't know if any of you know that. Anyone ever heard of Epiphany before? Twelve people. It's amazing. (laughs) Um, Epiphany is all about the Magi. Um, or sometimes referred to as the three wise men or the three kings, which is a bit weird because there weren't three, they weren't kings, and they weren't actually in the Christmas story at all. They didn't turn up at the manger until uh, Jesus was about two years old. And so the global church uses this Sunday to remember the Magi 
Um, and so we're going to get our reading this morning. You thought Christmas was over, but you get one more reading that you're used to at Christmas. And uh, Lisa Ann's going to read for us uh, Matthew 2, 1 through 12. If you have that in your Bibles, uh, you can get that. If not, it'll be up on, on the screen. Matthew 2, 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Thank you. So the Magi, um, here's a picture, a medieval picture of them, were an ancient uh, group of very important people in the Near East. Um, they were not Jewish. They were not uh, Christians at all. But they were deeply religious. They were deeply smart. They were deeply respected and educated people who had what was seen as a prophetic ministry to coronate kings. They would travel throughout the Near East, and whenever a kingdom sought to elect a new leader, they had to have the Magi there in order to prophesy success over the kings. Um, and the Magi actually turn up for the first time in the Bible about six, 700 years before Jesus in the time of Daniel, if you've ever read that book of the Bible, when God's people are carried away into captivity under King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel is this young Jewish guy who has the prophetic ability to interpret dreams. And because he can interpret dreams that the Magi can't interpret, he is put in charge of the Magi. We read that. And it seems quite likely that through Daniel and the Jewish people, the Magi hear of a prophecy about a future king, a different kind of king. Because they've seen all the empires, they've seen all the human leaders, they've seen all their frailty and brokenness, and yet through this prophecy they hear about one day a different, different order of kingdom who would bring light into the darkness. And so the Magi would have waited for hundreds and hundreds of years searching for a sign of that kingdom. And sure enough, as Jesus is born, they spot in the sky a star, literally a symbol of light in the darkness. And then they journey. They travel for hundreds and hundreds of miles to the west to find this young Jesus. 
And the story of the Magi is really an amazing story about searching for light, about looking for light. And I think in so many ways, the story of searching for light is so much part of the human condition, isn't it? I believe that we are all deeply looking for what is light and beautiful and good in the world. That when we talk about light, we're not just talking about physical light. Although after a week like we've just had with the rain, like we're all desperately also looking for that kind of light too. Again, weren't we all a bit excited on Friday when the sun came out and we were like, oh, thank you, Jesus. But we look for light in all sorts of different ways. Good things happen in the light where evil and dark happens in the darkness. You know, you only have to watch a movie, don't you? Where does murder happen? Almost always in the dark. Evil happens in the dark. If you ever watch a Batman film, right? It's almost all the evil is in the dark, whereas the happy endings happen in the sunshine and in the light. People are scared of the dark, but they are found in the light. And darkness, conversely, impacts us in so many ways. It's why depression is sometimes described as a darkness. Or maybe over the last few years, we've experienced darkness of isolation and loneliness or fear. We long for light. We long for goodness. We long for truth. We long for beauty. And it's amazing that then when Jesus walks into the human story, when Jesus sets foot on earth, what is said by Jesus of himself, no less, is this, I am the light of the world. The people were walking in great darkness, we hear, but yet Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Just notice that phrase, not I am a good thing or I am a nice idea, or I have some moral truth to tell you about. No, literally, singular thing. I am the light. The world is in darkness, and I have come to bring light. And whoever follows me will never be in darkness anymore, but will have light. It's incredible. I think I was, I was probably a, a, just a kid when I heard that invitation to allow Jesus into my life to step out of darkness and walk into light. But I think I was a teenager when I started to more fully realize that this was bigger than just one day going to heaven. That actually, that if there is a God and if he has plans and if he has purposes and if he wants good things and if he is about light, then basically either in my life, I have to choose to put myself in charge, to try and be light, to try and be good, to try and have enough, or I can put him in charge or I can walk in his ways. And when I was about 16, it was the biggest no-brainer I'd ever heard. (laughs) I was like, are you kidding me? Either I can be in charge or he can be in charge. That's fine, he can be in charge. And the rest of my life is the outworking of working out what it means to walk in light. John says it, John 1, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus comes to earth to cast out the kingdom of darkness, to cast out the darkness of lies, to bring in the light of healing, of transformation of bodies and minds, to cast out the darkness of demonic forces, to bring the kingdom of light to transform circumstances and to ultimately defeat 
the evil kingdom of darkness in the world to instead bring a kingdom of eternal light. Whoever follows me actively chooses to follow me, Jesus says, will live and have the light of life. It's incredible. It's incredible. It's something I want to say this morning, if you've just come to church, maybe you've never been to church before, and you're like, I don't know what this Christianity thing is all about. The invitation of Jesus to you is that simple. Step out of darkness. Step out of trying to be in control of your own life and your own destiny. And step into all that is true and good and beautiful and light in me. But it's also, um, it's an ongoing thing. Maybe this morning you might want to commit yourself to that for the first ever time. And we'd love to pray with you if you want to do that. It's so easy. But it's not just one thing that you do once and then you wait for heaven. In fact, it's a continual choice we find. Ephesians 5.8, you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So therefore, Paul says, live as children of light. That the choice of light is actually the daily choice of choosing to follow Jesus. That Jesus wants to bring light into every inch of who you are. Every sinew, every muscle, every neuron. And to do that, it means every single day choosing to live in the kingdom of light. To choosing to walk away from all that is dark. To choosing to walk away from all that is destructive. To choosing to walk away from everything, to be honest, that is actually increasingly worldly. And instead to live in the incredibly countercultural ways of the kingdom of God. That is what Jesus has in mind. And it's beautiful. I said a minute ago, it's transformed my life. I have, you could not give me any amount of money in the world to step back into the kingdom of darkness. Because when you know what it's like to have Jesus in charge of your life, it is the difference between night and day. Right? But there's something more. Something more. Because it's not just that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And we go, thank you, Jesus, that you're the light of the world. Astonishingly, and it is astonishing, right? He says this to his followers, to his disciples, to his first church. This is what he says. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Anyone freaked out by that? You should be, right? You should be. Not Jesus is the light of the world, but you're the light of the world. How does the world get to know what is light and true and good and beautiful? Through you. That's freaky scary. It is. Like, it seems like on the first glance, the world gets to know what is true and good and beautiful and real through me. And it gets to know it through you. And if that is true, if we are sources of light, then I am really worried for the world. <laughs> I'm really worried for the world. Because my conclusion is, I don't have enough good. I don't have enough beauty. I don't have enough truth to bring light into the darkness of the world. So what does Jesus actually mean by that scary phrase? He's got to mean something different to what I initially thought. And he does. And I want to show you what he means. Um, he doesn't mean that we are sources of light. But what he does absolutely mean, I believe, is that we are reflectors of light, mirrors of light. Um, come with me on a little illustration. <laughs> this is my mirror. In fact, it's not. It's Laura's. I clearly don't have a mirror, do I? Um, <laughs> I stole it from her. 
But let's assume for a minute that each one of you, your life is a mirror. And let's also assume that when Jesus says he is the light of the world, that that he is a bright shining light. And above us this morning, we have these spotlights. There's one right here. We use it every week to illuminate the shininess of my head for your pleasure and benefit. Um, Now, come with me. Okay, ready? Now, I think most human beings walk around like this, right? Totally oblivious to the fact that there is any bright light of shining in, in the world of light. I think that's where most people live. But when we become Christians, what we're actually doing is we are recognizing that Jesus is the light of the world and we are choosing to stand in that light. Now, as Christians, therefore, we've got a choice. We can do this. You want me to see this, but this is reflecting the light of the world back to its source. When Jesus says, I have come for beauty and truth and goodness, we reflect it back to him and we say, you are so good. This is called worship. This is worship. And it's valuable. It's what we're going to spend so much of heaven basking in the glory of God and saying, God, we love you because of what you've done. But then if you notice, by doing this, I'm not actually being the light of the world if this is all I do. This is good. This is a nice Christian holy huddle kind of moment thing, I think. But it's not changing the world. The second thing that I think a lot of Christians do is they do this. Look, aren't you so beautiful? Look at you all. Amazing. We simply point ourselves at the world. We reflect the world back to the world and we say, look, this is how the world gets changed. But this isn't the light of the world. It might be the social gospel. It might be this idea of progressive change and being good enough, but you're not being transformed by this. So what's possible? Well, there's one more thing that's possible. Now, if you're a bit sensitive to light in your eyes, just be braced, okay? This, this is the other possibility. Are you with me? What am I doing? I am reflecting the light of Jesus Christ into the world. I don't have a source of light. I'm not good enough. I'm not beautiful enough. I'm not true enough. But when I angle my life towards Jesus and I angle it out to the world in this way, I am bringing light into the darkness. This is the calling that we have on our lives. Jesus says it like this. You are the light of the world. A town on a hill cannot be hidden. So let your light shine. In fact, in Isaiah 60, we read this. Arise, stand up, shine. For your light has come. The glory of the Lord rises on you. You don't have to be a source of light, but you do have to be a reflector of that light. But there's a danger, I think. One little side point I want to make was that in order to do this, and I think this is what we are made for, we have to avoid the eclipse. One of the the things I, I do love about a dark night is the moon in L.A., There's something about the moon over LA, isn't there? If you're from a different part of the world, I don't know what it is. I need a scientist to tell me later. But there's something beautiful about the moon over LA. But we all know, well, I think we all know, the moon is not a source of light either. You do know that, don't you, right? Just just like world not flat, moon not source of light. Uh, We know that, okay. Just checking, just checking. The the moon is is a mirror. When you see the moon in the, star, in the sky, what you are looking at is the reflection of the sun reflecting off the moon back to you are, who you are. 
the amount of the moon you can see all depends on the angles that are involved in that. But once every while, something really drastic happens. It's called an eclipse, a lunar eclipse. And then a lunar eclipse is what happens when suddenly, like, the world hides the moon. When the world casts its shadow on the moon, when the world gets between the moon and the sun. I hope you can see where we're going here for a moment. (laughs) If you want to be the light of the world, if you want to shine God's light into dark places, one of the things you have to be hugely aware of is not to allow the world to get between you and God. Not to allow the world to skew your vision of the Son of God. We are called to be the light of the world. But you might say, well, okay, Ben, that's fine. That's fine. Okay. We reflect the beauty of God. We reflect it into dark places. But what about the church? Because I can do that, right? You can do that on your own, maybe. I can go home. I can read my Bible. I can pray. I can listen to wonderful worship music. And then I can go full of the Holy Spirit around my neighborhood, maybe with a cheesy grin on my face, trying to like talk to strange people in the, you know, in the grocery store, tell them about Jesus. You know, I, I could do that on my own. Why would I need a church for that? Well, I didn't tell you there are so many answers to that question. But the one that we're looking at this morning is because of this. There is only so much light that you can shine into the world around you. There's only so much light. God's vision for bringing light into the darkness is vastly beyond what you can manage on your own. It's vastly bigger what you think you can do. Paul realizes this in Ephesians, in Acts 13, when he realizes that what God's call is on his life, he says, God says to him, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. God's plan for bringing light into the darkness goes so far beyond you, it goes to every part of the earth. It goes to every person on the earth. It goes to every moment of the earth. It goes to every sinew. It goes to every fiber. It goes to every part of the created story. That's what God wants to bring, and you can't do it on your own. That's why, in fact, this picture of a mirror is good, but it only is actually part of the picture. In fact, the best picture I've ever seen for a church is actually this picture of a solar array. You ever seen one of these? This is actually out in the Mojave Desert. It's the biggest one in the world. It's not that far from here. Now, if you've never seen one, what it is is simply this. Hundreds and hundreds of mirrors, just like this, which all point themselves to the sky, to the sun, and reflect the light of the sun to a particular place right in the middle there where you can see it shining. And when they do that, they can generate enough light enough heat, enough transformation to bring light to a whole city. You see me? See what's going there? This is what the church is for. The church exists in a moment of time and space to shine the light of God together, people gathered together into a particular moment in a place so that a city can be transformed. So that a town can be transformed. So that a street can be transformed. So that a hospital can be transformed. So that a police department can be transformed. Because all these mirrors are all working together in arms so that they can do this work together. This is what the church is for. This is what the church is for. Matthew 5. People don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. 
Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your plural, collective, all of us together, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is what we are for, church. It's why one of our values is loving mission. Loving mission. And it is simply this, that we are called to more than this. You know, when we we gather as a church, when we gather like this, hundreds of us, whether we gather in 20 people in a home, whether we gather in a park like we did last Sunday morning, what we're actually saying is we are about more than this. Actually, one of the things that helps me here in this building is these balconies, which are empty right now. We're not full of the balconies yet. And my vision is, as we look at them, I'm reminded not that one day all the Christians will think that sitting on hard wooden benches in a balcony is better than what they currently experience, but my vision is that one day people in our city, the hundreds, if not the thousands of people in our city, would come to know the light of Christ for themselves. Amen? That's what we're for. We are here for the people who don't know Jesus and his light yet. And we are people who are called to bring his light into every part of the darkness of Pasadena and the surrounding cities. In our, um, in our Anglican churches, we use, we use these five markers by which we talk about light in the darkness. And some of them you will have heard of before. Some might seem surprising, but they're called the marks of mission. The first is this. We are called to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. We're called to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. Which basically means that people need Jesus. They need Jesus. Everything in the world says multi-faithism, you can believe anything you want. That's not true. You either live in darkness or you live in light. You either live with Jesus or you live in darkness. That's literally it. Which means if people don't know Jesus, they have only got darkness to live with. They only have death and they need Jesus. That's what we are here for, to proclaim the light of Christ. It's why we do Alpha. It's why we're always involved in working in ways to build connections and community with people who don't know Jesus yet. That's number one. Number two, to respond to human need by loving service. To respond to human need by loving service. What we mean by that is we bring the love of Christ to bear. We show the love of Christ in every way. It's why last week we did our church service in the park with a whole bunch of people experienced homelessness. It's why a whole load of you were involved in cooking lunch for them, which was amazing. It's why we're involved in a sock drive and a homeless count at the moment. It's why we're working with Fuller later this month to do our first ever drive-through food bank. It's why we send teams to Mexico to bring practical, real, kingdom-level good news of Jesus to bear. It's why we fund benevolence so that people can be supported when they have hard times. It's why we work with Door of Hope, who prevent homelessness. It's why we work with Claris Health, who supports single moms. It's why we work with stars to bring mentoring to young people. It's why we do all the things that we do because we are about bringing light into dark places. Number three, number four, we transform unjust structures of society to challenge violence of every kind and pursue peace and reconciliation. 
because we realize that light has to go to every level of the city. It has to go to every part of the story. And then fifthly, to strive to safeguard the integrity of creation and to sustain and renew the life of the earth. Now that one might seem a bit weird to you, but it basically means that there is a darkness that even affects the ground. It affects the environment. It affects the work. And we're called to bring light even into the way that we're called to steward the earth. We bring light into the darkness. And, and that's what we're for this year. We exist for that purpose. And, and it, it might sound a bit arrogant. It might sound a bit proud. But when I say that the city of Pasadena can't thrive if the churches don't thrive, I mean it. When we say that the church is the hope for the world, we mean it. A bunch of years ago, the, the Pasadena Police Department wrote to the clergy of the city. And you know what they said? They were facing this massive gang warfare epidemic. People were dying on the streets. And they asked the churches to pray. And they wrote to all the church leaders a bunch of months later and said, thank you. Thank you for teaching us about the power of prayer because the city has changed. The Pasadena Police Department wrote that. It's, it's why last week the Rose Parade organizers, anyone go to the Rose Parade? Yeah, it's why the Rose Parade organizers invited all the senior clergy from the city to gather at the Tournament of Roses house and then they closed the route before the parade and they invited us to pray. I've got a picture of us praying. There we are. That's me and one of the other um, senior pastors from the city. We prayed for God's kingdom to come to the streets of Pasadena. The Rose Parade asked us to do that. We didn't ask them to do that. The city knows that the church is the hope for the world, but do we know that we're the hope for the world? Do we know that? We are called to bring light into the darkest place. And so I want to finish this, this uh, talk, and before we go back to worship, I, I just want to invite you this challenge at the start of a new year. I don't know what your goals are. I don't know how much Peloton you're planning. I don't know if you're trying to get fitter or faster or better looking or better finances. I don't know if you're trying to get a new job or a new spouse or you're trying to get, I don't know what you're trying to get. But may I suggest that what you really need at the start of a new year is you need a community of fellow believers in Jesus Christ who you can walk alongside. Ones who not only will help you to understand what the light of the world looks like, to help you to gaze into its beauty, to help you to be transformed by its goodness, but also who will give you opportunities and will help you to shine that light out into the world. Right? That's what we are here for. And if you're just visiting today, I'd love to just commission you and love you and say, hey, go back to your church, find one of those churches and get involved in it. But if you're here and you're wondering, like, am I part of Vintage? I want to say this is what it means to be part of Vintage this year. To receive God's light and to shine it into the city. And so I hope that you'll journey with us. I hope that you'll come on the adventure. I believe God has so much for us to be involved in this year. It's going to bring transformation to lives. It's going to see things change all around us. But it's on you if you want to be with us. So let's pray. Maybe you'd like to stand.